Good day and welcome to Partakers Podcasts. Yesterday we finished with the question, what is the best evidence for the work of the Holy Spirit? We concluded by saying that it is where people's lives were being transformed and becoming more like Jesus Christ. So we're now another question. Where is the evidence for this in the Bible, and particularly in the life of the New Testament church? Let's read from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve apostles gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It's not stated here, but there is an evident transformation which has taken place. Only a very short time ago, the twelve, the apostles of Jesus, had refused to wash feet as an act of service. Peter, some had wanted positions of power and greatness. James and John. Their old nature must have started asking questions and prompting them to react negatively. However, since they have been transformed by the coming and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, these apostles now have a new nature, the nature of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they react much more righteously and judiciously. Notice, they gathered all the believers together for a church meeting. They gave their opinion, or judgment if you like, that their ministry or time would be better spent doing what God had called them to do, to be leaders of the church. They were to be church leaders, devoting themselves to praying, preaching, evangelizing, and discerning how best to apply the three years of teaching that they had just had when traveling with Jesus Christ before his ascension. Their time, rightly so, was best spent doing that, for that was their prime ministry. But other people in the church gathering, who had a different ministry, could spend their time overseeing the food distribution. So seven men were chosen. Who were they? They were elected by the whole church, both Greeks and Hebrews, to perform this duty. They may already have been doing it, 
but now they were being set apart especially for this role. These men were controlled by the Holy Spirit, filled with him, and they were wise. They were chosen to give relief to the leadership so that the word of God and prayer would not be hindered, so that the church would go on in evangelism. Interestingly enough, the word diaconia here is translated in NIV as ministry. Another way to translate it is as deacons or servants. But these men were not deacons in the way that Paul uses the word as a part of church government in 1 Timothy 3. Rather, they were deacons set apart for this specific task. This was their ministry. It may well have been from here that Paul developed what some parts of the universal church understand of the role of deacons. So these seven men were prototypes, as it were, for the Pauline idea of deacons. Note also that the apostles didn't say their work was more important than serving. They were just following what God had called them to do, just as God had called these seven men to take responsibility for providing food for the widows. So they were commissioned by God, by the laying on of hands, and set apart to perform this duty. We know only of Stephen and Philip, and that they continued doing other ministries as well as this. And what was the result? The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The result was church growth. Witness and growth may well see the conversion of former enemies. Witness and growth may well see reasoning and transformation. Now that the apostles had time for their dedicated and unique ministry, all the widows, Hebraic and Greek, could be fed, and all believers able to participate within the life of the church. Not only that, Stephen was instrumental in reaching the apostle Paul, which we come to later on. Philip was instrumental in reaching the city of Samaria and won over for Jesus Christ the Ethiopian eunuch who then took the gospel into Africa in Acts chapter 8. And this growth occurred when the word of God increased in its effectiveness in the lives of those unbelievers who would listen to the gospel, understand it, and take it for themselves. This growth was not merely by addition, but by multiplication. It was explosive, so explosive that even former enemies were becoming converts. Sadducees were Jewish believers who didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. Yet they came to faith and started to believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not hard to imagine that some of these Jewish priests and leaders coming to faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah were former persecutors of the church. They were probably watching the church to see how best to attack it and debate with the Christians. They found that they were joining the church rather than continuing to oppose it. The church was preaching one thing and acting upon that one thing. There was no hypocrisy yet within this church. The church was transparent. 
it lived as it believed. The church was seen as transformative and servant-like. Do you think that describes the church where you attend, or the church in general today? And while the church continued to reason with others about the validity of Jesus Christ's claims to be the Messiah, it would not have been effective if lives were not being transformed. If lives were not being changed, then no amount of reasoning alone would have seen the growth in the numbers being added to the church. Transformation and change alone would not have been the catalyst for the exponential growth without the reasoning behind it. The early church, the New Testament church, was a radical community of believers growing quickly. We saw at Pentecost the church community began when the Holy Spirit filled the disciples and the hallmarks of this community were commitment and transformation. This community was radical. It was where people's lives were being changed as the Holy Spirit came in and filled them. Therefore, instead of being a withdrawn people filled with fear of retribution from the Roman government and Jewish leaders, the church became a people filled with boldness and joy. This church in Jerusalem grew by being a radical community full of radical individuals, engaging with others and serving the Lord in evangelism. It was a church, a community, where every member was asked and expected to play some role in the life of the church. The Christian life is to be dynamic and active. As we have seen, the word deacon here denotes ministry. Ministry is any service for Jesus Christ. When you serve as God's deacon and minister in this way, God's honour is released. That's why the embryonic church in Jerusalem grew and flourished. That happened because service shows the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ to those being served and to those watching. That's to be our motive for service. Serving and ministry is to be never about what you and I can get out of it. When that's the motive, the prime motive, God is not glorified. God's glory and supremacy is our goal as Christians, is it not? Spiritual growth comes from serving rather than being served. This is because whatever is given in service of God and others, faith grows and Jesus Christ gives back even more. We've looked at spiritual gifts. How is your serving? What's your attitude and underlying motive for serving God and for serving others? And Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, verse 15 to 30, tells of the rewards for faithful service and the penalties for being faithless, for not serving. Serving others is a sign that you are trusting God and having faith in God. Serving God and others is a mark of spiritual maturity and the greatest servant of all, Jesus Christ, who came to serve and give his life for others, is reflected through the service. As Christians, we are to be as Jesus Christ to those who do not know him personally. And we are to serve others, all others, without exception. And yet, if we are honest, we sometimes feel incapable, just as Moses did in Exodus chapter 3. And the Psalms tell us about many times the psalmist who at times felt inadequate for the tasks in front of him or her, but who kept their faith firm and fought their way to higher ground and a better relationship with the Lord. That's it for today. Tomorrow we start to look at the church being persecuted.
come back every day to www.partakers.co.uk where there is something uploaded to help you as a Christian disciple in the 21st century. Our books are also available on www.pulptheology.com which will take you through to our Amazon page. See you later.